Hey friends, welcome. As usual, delighted to have you with me. And today I have Jen Schultz. Jen Schultz has been a Minnesota state legislator for many years. She's currently running for Congress. And the reason I wanted to chat with her is because so often we hear, oh, all politics are local. We should care more about local government. And I wanted to hear more about, first of all, what it's like to be in state level government and also why it matters. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. I'm very excited to welcome Jen Schultz. Thank you so much for coming. Great to be here, Sharon. So Jen is currently a state legislator and she is also currently running for Congress. So I'd love to start by having you give everybody a little bit of your background. So in my day job, I'm an academic. I'm a professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and I'm in the Department of Economics. So I have a PhD in economics, and my specialty is healthcare economics. So for the last 20 or so years, I've been working on healthcare reform and health policy. And I'm a mom. I have two boys in the fifth and the seventh grade. Uh, My husband is also an academic. He's a criminologist. So he advises me a lot on policing and crime, which is great. I'm originally from Wisconsin, but have been in Minnesota for over 20 years. But I'm from a background where I have a really strong mother who raised me and my sister. She had us when she was putting herself through college and and got her master's degree in alcohol and drug abuse so she could become a counselor to help other families go through something that we experienced. Got very involved in the feminist movement in the early 70s, ran for office herself as a county clerk. Didn't win, but got really close. But I've always been surrounded by strong people and uh, knew that I, I was also raised to be strong and independent. And I put myself through college and grad school, going to public institutions and chose economics because a college professor told me there weren't that many women in economics. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a challenge. So I pursued economics and knew it could be a very powerful force for good. And that's what I'm doing now as a state legislator. Are you still at this point in your career surprised at how little people know about economics? You know, it's, I think it can be a very difficult subject, at least for my college students to comprehend Mm -hmm. and understand. I just finished a book called The Economist's Hour. I really highly recommend it, but it talks about how influential economists have been since really the 1950s in (laughs) forming policy in the president's cabinet, for instance. So it's, I highly recommend that book, but there's a range of ideology in economics and Mm -hmm. some is really good and can reinforce my values and some is used really to go against, I think, the values of, of at least Minnesotans. It is interesting to see such a range of beliefs all the way from we should have literally nothing but free market capitalism to some of the more like modern monetary theory sort of beliefs of like a deficit is a myth. (laughs) The national debt is not even real, which actually sounds really great. It would be like, that sounds good. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But that is not the prevailing wisdom in economics. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the famous one is the Laffer curve. And this is what Reagan based his tax policy on, meaning that if we reduce taxes, it would be good for the economy and everyone would benefit. Now that's been debunked many times by 
you know, lots of economists, including Nobel laureates. So, I mean, the economics, it can be used for things like supporting the idea that if we increase the minimum wage, people would have more income in their pockets, they would spend more, it would make everything healthier, the economy healthier, because it's the low and middle income families that spend money. When you do a tax deduction to the very, very wealthy, that doesn't help as many people. But economists are involved in, in everything from housing policy to uh, transportation policy. So they're, they're everywhere now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, I would love to hear what made you decide, you know what? I am enjoying this job as a professor of economics but I really want to run for state legislature. Well, you know, that was never on my bucket list of things to do, but I was working with the current state legislator, Tom Huntley at the time, and he'd been in office for over 20 years and he was the chair of health and human services. So that's why we worked together on healthcare reform. I happened to be at a conference at Education Minnesota and they were looking for someone to run for office. And at the time my sons were four and six. So I thought, well, my husband's not gonna, encourage me to do this. We have two young kids at home. I have, you know, a really great job, but I asked him if I should run for office and he said, definitely, yes, you would be perfect and was very supportive. And so I, I just took the plunge, not really knowing what is involved in actually campaigning, but I just took the plunge and people were really supportive and put together a team and without really putting a lot of thought into it. I just did it because one, I wanted to continue working on healthcare reform. And I thought that's things were happening at the state level, not the federal level. And thought I could make an impact with my experience and expertise in health economics. And then two, I was really involved with the university's budget problems and knew that 
higher education needed help in, in this, at the state level. So I think a lot of people also don't realize that many state legislatures are part-time. You don't just move to the state capitol and like, this is my career now. In fact, some states, the state legislature only meets every other year. Tell us about what the structure of being in the state legislature is like in Minnesota. So in Minnesota, it is part-time. They wanted regular people to run for office and represent uh, their district. Most people are either retired or they have a flexible job or they own their own business. I mean, not everyone can do it, unfortunately. And I don't think it pays enough for someone to support their family as a quote, full-time job. But, you know, technically it's part-time, but realistically it is full-time. We are working during session, but off session, we're meeting with our constituents, crafting legislation, attending events. So it's a, it's a lot. And I've been trying to teach all year, fitting that into teaching and doing my research and my advising load as well. So it can, it can be a lot, but I've become very good at multitasking like so many other legislators. Mm. Do you teach remotely during the second semester of the school year? I do. I teach online. I teach two online courses. And one of the courses is health policy. I bring students to the Capitol with me, shadowing me for a few days at the Capitol, and they love it. And I hope that it encourages them to go into state government as well. Mm. So you show up in January, the session begins. How does that work? How does all of that behind the scenes work with who's introducing what? How does the session kick off? Give us all the details. Yeah, so we have something called the caucus, and I'm a DFLer, the Democratic Farm Labor Group in Minnesota, and we caucus with our members before session starts in January to try to understand what our priorities are for the upcoming session. So there's one year is what we call the budget year, and we put together a two-year biennium budget, and that happens in the odd years. In the even years, like this year, we have a typically shorter session And we put together policy bills because we've already done the budget bills, but we caucus together at a, usually we have a long retreat and we figure out what our values are, what our priorities are, and what should be the first top 10 bills that will be introduced. Hmm. And those will be our priority bills, either in a budget year or a policy year. And then really it's sort of a free for all. Everybody has an election certificate. So they start introducing bills that their constituents need or their district, their region, the number keeps going up every year. There's four to 5,000 bills introduced over oh a two-year biennium. It's, it's intense, and that's puts a lot of pressure on our nonpartisan staff to process all those bills. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are they're great ideas, and then we have these the committee structure, and I chair Health and Human Services, and we hear various bills that we think um, are good bills that are needed for the state, and we try to get the Senate to support those bills. So that's what we do most of session is take hearings, public testimony, and we vet these bills to see if they're going to make it across the finish line. Mm. Okay. People are also very curious about who is actually writing the bills because we have all seen schoolhouse rock where it's a man with a typewriter and it says school buses will stop at stop signs. And that is the bill. <laughs> that's a great question. Sharon, that's a great question. When I first got to the legislature, I was just amazed by our nonpartisan research staff. So we have incredible people working and they help us write bills when we have our own ideas or we have constituents that need something. And that's what I, I mostly do that because of my expertise. I think I'm able to lead the charge on writing and crafting bills. Now, 
Often, and this is unfortunate in some cases, lobbyists work with nonpartisan staff to write the bills or advocates help write the bills with the approval of members to work with our nonpartisan staff. I will also look at using model legislation from other states that they have introduced and have been successful. So we use legislation introduced or passed in other states and nonpartisan staff will work with that to make tailor it to conform to Minnesota laws. And then we have attorneys that are legislators and will often write, write bills themselves. That's pretty rare because we are so busy doing everything else. A lot of that bill writing happens where people are meeting with tables of people and advocates, stakeholders to get input on language. And that bill evolves. We're constantly changing and improving the language of bills. I want to go back to something you just said, because a lot of people don't know about model legislation. A lot of people don't realize that there are both like nonprofit groups, lobbying groups, special interest groups, and also just state legislatures who offer model pieces of legislation that states can adopt. Can you tell us more about that? So here's an example. I serve on the Great Lakes Commission as a commissioner. I'm also vice chair of the Great Lakes Legislative Caucus. And we worked on developing model legislation to test for lead in our pipes, especially in schools, daycares, in residential areas. And we used that legislation that Illinois had introduced to get that introduced in Minnesota. So we created model legislation that the state legislators could adopt in their states. This is just a logistics question. How do you get Illinois' bill and how do you know that they did that? There's two associations. One is called CSG, Council of State Government, and the other one is NCSL, National Council of State Legislators. And both do tremendous work across the country and work with legislators in hundreds of different areas. It's often public. So if it was introduced in another state, it's online. And that's probably the most common resource. But if it's a bill that's still in development that's not public, yes, we'll reach out to colleagues and other, other state legislators in other states to get their, their draft. Hmm. That's super interesting. So how much of your day is spent arguing with people? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm, I'm known for working across the aisle. You know, we just, we don't just have Democrats and Republicans. We have what are called new Republicans that I guess are, would be considered more far right libertarians, constitutionalists. We also have independents. And so I've only been in divided government and Minnesota is proud that we can get a lot of budget bills and policy bills passed in divided government. We've been very successful my eight years in the state legislature. But I would say a lot of a lot of my work is having conversations with my colleagues on all sides of the aisle. So I don't I don't think we argue a lot. Probably that comes out in the political theater you see if you watch floor debates and if you watch committee hearings. There's a lot of political theater happening to make good talking points or short videos. A lot of that, unfortunately, is for re-election purposes and is a waste of our time, honestly. <laughs> and is, so they can have some kind of clip to put on Instagram. That's right. Slash mm-hmm. Facebook. That's correct. <laughs> I'm speaking very broadly and overgeneralizing here, but many people, it seems like, are looking for those kind of moments that they can put on their website and put on their social media so that people who want to vote for them feel like, yeah, they're out there doing a great job. Like they're fighting for me. 
That's true. Um, they want to they want to go viral, and that helps mm-hmm. with their fundraising. I would say more than anything, and which is really unfortunate. I know you've talked a lot about dark money and politics. We definitely that has to be a priority to address because in my congressional race, I mean, you have to raise millions of dollars to even try to take on an incumbent. And there's mm-hmm. so much what are called independent expenditures, groups outside your campaign that are spending m- money for you. And you're not supposed to know anything about what they're doing, but millions and millions of dollars are spent on commercial ad buys that we have no control over. Mm. So after the session wraps up, and you go home, you still have to do all kinds of work during the summer, during the fall, as you're gearing up, because there's like a lot of teachers, a lot of educators, there's just not enough time during the workday, the the school year to get everything done. How closely do you stay in contact with other members of the state legislature? Yeah, we're often getting together for fundraisers for the caucus because the caucus has to raise money to maintain the majority so they don't lose the majority. But, you know, mostly we're communicating with our constituents now with each other. Mm. So people are door knocking. It's an election year. So that's already started. People will door knock their entire districts, learn about what the needs are from their constituents, and then start working on legislation or bills to introduce next year. Uh, So I think it's just a lot in the campaign year. It's a lot about campaigning, going to events and listening to, to the people and what their needs are. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize like, oh no, oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, Lumi whole body deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72 hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. 
And I've been using our sponsor OneSkins products for a while now. And I have to tell you, I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkins proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. Okay, I would love to hear about what made you decide to run for Congress. Why now? And how's it going? Yeah, why now? That is the that is the question. Well, I decided after eight years of being a state legislator that I was going to step down and let someone else have their chance and continue to work on other things that were a priority for me. I announced I wasn't going to run again for a two-year term. And I'd been trying to recruit a DFLO to run against the incumbent who'd been there for four years. And this district had been DFL controlled for 70 of the last 76 years. So it was a strong blue district, but no one was doing it. And then people started asking me if I was going to run. And I said, no, I can't, you know, running for Congress is a big deal. It's a big deal. And I'm, I didn't feel like I was ready for it. And people kept asking. And so I just decided one day, like I sort of decided to run for state office. Okay, fine. Someone has to challenge this person. I'll do it. No one else is doing it. I'll do it. And I looked at the data from the 2018 midterm election for governor and thought, you know what, this is a totally winnable district if you work hard. And unfortunately, if you raise money, and with my experience, I thought I could do that. And I thought we could beat the incumbent. And I knew I could put together a strong team to do that. And so now I have a strong team of a lot of hardworking women and other folks. We signed up thousands of volunteers already. People are super excited and motivated to flip this district. And that's what we're going to do. But, you know, I want to do everything I've been doing at the state level, at the federal level. The district is very diverse and it's close to one of the largest congressional districts in the country. I was going to say that it is a massive congressional district that encompasses hundreds of miles. You know, like if you go all the way up to the, to the Canadian border, all the way down to north of the Twin Cities, it's like over 200 miles, I want to say, or very close to it's 200 very, miles. It is very large. It's larger than many states in this country. And mm-hmm. so it also has this bump out, which we call the Northwest Angle that goes into <laughs> basically Canada, if you look at a map of Minnesota, but basically it's the Northern half of the state. It's the original Minnesota territory, essentially. Mm. It has to be a very challenging district to run in because of the size and very challenging district to cover in terms of like trying to meet constituents. Because if you're, you know, like you're all the way up by Canada in one day and all the way back down by the Twin Cities another day, that is a lot of time in the car. It's a lot of very diverse needs. And it is not, I don't think it would be a very super straightforward district to represent. Do you agree? 
I agree, but it's still, I would say it, bottom line is everyone still needs the same things and have this has similar values. So that's what I'm running on. Mm. Um, and now with the recent events with another mass shooting in the schools, my opponent is takes hundreds of thousands of dollars from the NRA. I think that's not going to help him win reelection. And that's going to be a big talking point about addressing gun violence and gun safety. I think if we see a lot of women come out to vote and young people, it's going to really help help our chances of winning in November. And I think they're extremely motivated for a midterm. What will you do if you win? Have you made those kind of plans yet? Have you started looking down the road of like, okay, if I win January 23, I got to have somewhere to live. I got to figure out how I'm getting home. How often am I going to go home? Like, have you started making those kind of plans yet? I haven't because I'm so focused on trying to win. So I'm not putting the cart before the horse, Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely. But, you know, I'll I'll just figure that out if I win. That's. Mm -hmm. But I do know which committees I I would be interested in serving on and what I would need to represent the tribal lands and what they are needing. And it's going to involve understanding and serving in the area of natural resources, transportation. I think that's what a lot of people in the district expect me champion of. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's important for women to run for office? In my experience, women work really hard and they often have different experiences in their lives where they probably have had more challenges, but also they understand how difficult it is to raise a family and work at the same time, have multiple jobs, understand the barriers. If there's not childcare, they can't be more active in their community or work. They understand how difficult it is, for instance, when they have a new, new baby and they don't have paid leave, they maybe won't be able to nurse that child as long as they wanted to or at all. So I think they see all these challenges and want to fix things and want to solve those problems. So there are very many of them are very motivated. They bring this unique experience in their lives to the table. And I see women that are able to work with other women and change things. So they've really made a big impact in Minnesota in driving progressive legislation that is centered around helping working families forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and I think Women are more empowered to run. People are looking for more women to run. Honestly, it's been great working with other strong women leaders and, you know, having them as role models for for young girls. It's been great. Mm. Also, I feel like so many women are the default parent in their home, even if they have a very supportive partner, they tend to be the default parent, especially when their children are very young. And so having mom in Congress or mom in a state legislature can be very disruptive to the lives of small children. And so I think sometimes women are intimidated by that or the logistics of it are too great. Or if you're a single mom, for example, it would be logistically be next to impossible to balance. I'm going to work here for a few months um, I work over here for a few months, especially if you, even if you have school age children, you can't take them with you. The logistics of being in state and federal government as a woman with young children is very significant. I have to say, when I first ran for office, some of my biggest supporters 
when I was entertaining the idea, basically said, Jen, are you sure you have two small kids? Is this really, can you really, should you really do this? And I encourage young mothers to run every day. And so one of my close colleagues, she was pregnant and asking me if she should run for office. And I said, yes, you should, because we, we need women in, in the state legislature. You can do it as long as you have, you need support. You need family around. I have a very supportive husband that does everything. My family's not very close by and we did it because you, we have friends and neighbors that can also be, be vital to help. And I just think it's, it's really important. We've had legislators have babies bring, they bring them to the floor. You know, it's, we have a caucus room below the chamber. We made it very child-friendly so people could bring their kids to the Capitol when we're in session. We just tried to make it easier for young moms and young dads to run for office. What would it be like to have a daycare facility for state legislators? That has been discussed for a long time about space for a daycare very close by. We Mm -hmm. haven't figured out how to do that or fund that yet, but that is on the table. That has been a a very common request. Mm -hmm. Childcare is such a significant issue. And if a a mother of a young child could run over on her lunch break to feed them before they take an afternoon nap or, you know, something along those lines where she doesn't feel like she's so far away, I could see how that might incentivize somebody to run where otherwise they might not have. Yeah, that's definitely, I think that's true for a lot of moms, not even outside the legislature. Childcare mm-hmm. has been a huge barrier, a big problem. Many have closed during the pandemic. Yeah, we need to make sure we're investing in those opportunities so, so women can work. Hi, friends, it's Sharon. If you enjoyed a recent episode with author and public theologian, Issa Macaulay, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you. No Small Endeavor, produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor is an acclaimed podcast series that explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host and award-winning theologian Lee C. Camp brings you thoughtful conversations with artists, philosophers, politicians, and theologians like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson about what it means to find true happiness and flourish in our everyday life. So don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And tell them I sent you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What would you say to somebody who is considering running for state or local government? Whether they're a man or a woman, if they're like, you know, county commissioner, city council, state legislature, school board, whatever office it is, what kind of advice would you offer them? The first thing they should do is contact their local elected person for the office they want to run for and find out what it's like. What is it like to serve? What does your life look like? What are the logistics? And I always encourage people to work on a campaign. Just work alongside individuals and you'll know what it's like to do the campaign piece as well, not only serving once you're elected. Because you have to have, for a lot of offices, even school board, you have to have a pretty thick skin because Mm -hmm. people are going to criticize you. You're not going to make everybody happy. And it's not for everyone. I'll just say that it's definitely not for everyone. But I think those are the first things I would offer advice on what, what a person could do if they think if they're interested. Have a conversation with people who are in that office. Mm. Why is it so important for people to be involved in state and local politics? Oh boy, people really need to engage more. I know it's been difficult. People are tired and there's been a lot of political division and lack of trust in elected officials. So I, I think it's hard for people to stay engaged when they don't want to hear all the negativity out there and Mm -hmm. finger pointing. But it is so important to the strength of our democracy for people to stay engaged and to really push back on the big lies and disinformation on social media. I do fear that our democracy is being challenged to a big degree. And people who are not engaged or are silent are going to probably feel very guilty if we lose some of our freedoms and the things that make our democracy strong. So I think it's not just important to vote. I think people understand the importance of voting, but I think people need to understand what their electeds are doing. How are they voting? Are they voting in my best interest or not? So to do that, you can't always trust what they're saying. You have to look what they're doing. You have to look at their actions. Mm. How Mm -hmm. are they voting on these certain bills? So you have to go out there and find that out. And sometimes that can be difficult to find out how they're voting. You have to weigh through a lot of different things on the website, know where to go to find that voting record, know what the bill is. But I always encourage my students, at least, is to be knowledgeable. Knowledge is power. And read newspapers. Read a newspaper every day online. I tell them not to get their news from Facebook or social media. Get their news from another source. I encourage them. I'm devoted to Minnesota Public Radio. I get a lot of my news in the morning from NPR. Students love podcasts. So I always recommend a list of podcasts that they can listen to to get their news mm-hmm. and information and really just stay informed because that is so powerful. And that's how people will stay engaged. People do tend to think that participation in a democracy is just voting. And voting is extremely important, no doubt. 
showing up for elections, especially midterm elections, especially primary elections. They're extremely important. If you want better candidates, you have to show up for a primary election. You cannot just show up in, on general election day and be like, well, I hate all of you. You have, if you want better candidates, you have to start working in the process earlier, but we, the people doesn't just mean we, the people show up and vote. A democracy requires citizen participation to be healthy. In order to be a healthy democracy, we need multiple viewpoints. We can't all just have group think. That's authoritarianism, where one person sees its power, tells you what to think, and we all just go along with it. That's actually extremely dangerous. We have to participate if we want to maintain a healthy democracy. Yes, totally agree, Sharon. And, you know, often people will go to the polling location and they don't know who they're voting for because they Mm -hmm. haven't done that work. People are working hard. They're working multiple jobs often. They just might not have time to do that. And we should make the day we vote a holiday. We should maybe open up voting to more than just one day. Make it easier to vote. I've always been a champion of automatic voter registration when you get your driver's license or renew your license. We just have to remove the barriers to voting, but we also have to do a better job of educating voters on how important it is on who our elected officials are. Mm. And another fantastic reason to read local newspapers. Yes, reading the Wall Street Journal is fantastic. Really will help you understand the economy at large. But the Wall Street Journal is not going to be telling you where the candidates stand for school board. Those are jobs that are often championed by local newspapers. And local newspapers have been very hard hit in the last 10 to 15 years. Many have folded. And people do not realize sometimes how important a service they are providing and how important it is to support them. Because when they exit a market, there is often not anybody that comes to fill their place. Yeah, that is a really good point, Sharon. We know in our community, local papers have really taken a hit. They've laid off Mm -hmm. their journalists. They use Mm -hmm. a lot of AP Reuters articles. So there is a big void in, in some of our communities of not having a local paper. And then you don't have that local coverage. You don't have Mm -hmm. those journalists who know which topics are going to be of interest and they're not covering them. So it is really important to support by subscribing or donating. We've lost some local radio stations as well up here in Minnesota. And those are vital sources of information for people to stay connected. Mm. How do you recommend that people find out about who they're voting for? I hear that pretty frequently that people are like, where can I go to get information about who's running for my city council? Yeah, I would say their local party unit. So the Democratic Party in their state will have a list of candidates to links with their website. So you can find out about the candidates for either, you know, on the the Democratic side or the Republican side, that's probably going to be the easiest, best link. The Secretary of State filing, they have everyone who's filed for office and with links to their website. So that would be a good source. I know our Star Tribune puts together a piece of all those who are who are running for office and there's their biography and their link to their website. So I think there's sources out there right now. The filing period in many states is still open. So people are still deciding to file for office. Those are some good sources of information for candidates. Mm-hmm. The Secretary of State, that's a great, that's a really great tip because sometimes again, if people are not affiliated with a party. They may not be excited about going to one party's website. 
They may not be like, who are the Democrats if they don't necessarily identify as that, but they want to be informed about all the options. What do you think voters should consider when they're choosing who to vote for? I hear from a lot of people who say that there isn't one person who represents all of my views. And I know people like you work hard to represent the best interests of as many of your constituents as possible. But what should voters consider, in your opinion, when they are heading to the polls, just sort of generally speaking, how should voters choose who to vote for? Well, I think it's true that we are getting more polarized in this country, and that could be because of how we endorse and elect people. And I would say that I think you need to, if you can, meet the candidates. So show up at their campaign events, have conversations with them. There's not going to be one candidate that meets all the requirements for you, I'm sure. But if they meet most of them, I think it's okay to disagree on some issues with the candidate you're going to vote for. I really advise against voting for someone just on one issue. I think you want to know where they stand on multiple issues that are important to people. What's your experience? Do you have a track record of getting things done? And ask them, what are, you know, what have you championed if you're an incumbent? What have you done in the past? If somebody, if it comes down to somebody choosing between character or policies, which would you pick? Boy, I would say right now, I would say character is really important. I think you want someone that you can trust, someone that has integrity and someone that is honest. So even if as an elected, you know, you're not going to support something to be able to have the ability and to have the courage to tell them why you don't support something instead of lying, Mm because we really need to build back that trust. And it starts with honesty. Mm -hmm. And I think that character is, is really important. It says a lot about a person. Often you can move people on policy. You can educate people on policy. They might change their mind. You want to elect people that can be educated, that aren't too rigid, that can be open to changing their mind and things evolve. You look at President Biden, you know, he's changed his position in his entire career because things happen in the world and things change and their perspective changes. So I think the foundation is is character. Mm. Policy is a lot easier to adjust than who somebody fundamentally is. That's true. That is so true, Sharon. Mm. Yes, that we need to re- we need to repeat that. <laughs> also, the chances are that you you one person be able to get all of your policy things done anyway, or like none. And so then, what do you have? What are you left with then? Somebody who doesn't really achieve that much because they have poor character. And additionally, somebody who just is not a great person to begin with. <laughs> I know. Because a lot of it, it's the foundation is you need to be able to work with other people. Building those relationships is key. Building those relationships with people from other parties. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is really good at building those relationships. You need that in your elected official. You mm-hmm. want that. You don't want to be rigid and ideological. You want to be a bridge builder. And that's how you get things done. And that's how you are effective as an elected Mm. official. Mm. So true. There are just a handful of legislators in Congress who are so out of control that nobody wants to work with them. Like, I am not interested in attaching my name to anything that you are doing. Even if I might agree with it, I'm not going to put Schultz on the list of sponsors because you are here for all the wrong reasons. You're here to just 
fundraise and make a name for yourself and say inflammatory things. When you act that way, it actually prevents you from getting anything done because nobody wants to work with you. Yep. That's a good point. I try to steer away from people who are only there to, because of their ambition, because they're doing it for to seek a higher office mm-hmm. or to be famous, or I just want to work with the people that are off in the corner doing the hard work of legislating, getting mm-hmm. things done, even though no one knows their name. Those are the type of people that are what we call workhorses and mm-hmm. not show horses. Mm-hmm. And that those, those individuals make really good elected officials. They're there to do the people's work. It's not for them. It's not about power. It's not about notoriety. It's not about being famous on TikTok. <laughs> Where can people find out more about your campaign? If they're curious about you, what is a website they can go to? Yeah, go to jenschultzforcongress.com. So it's Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z, and then it's F-O-R for congress.com. And they can follow me on Twitter at Rep Jen Schultz. I'm on Facebook at Jen Schultz for Congress. Would love to have people visit my website, volunteer for the campaign, or contribute. You know, we rely on individual donations. We do not take corporate PAC money. We really want people to contribute individually so I can represent the people and not corporate interests. Mm. This is so interesting, so educational. I'm really grateful for your time. It's so interesting to hear more about behind the scenes of working in a state legislature and about congressional races. So I'm really appreciative. Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks, Sharon. We are so appreciative of you and we're glad you're in our community. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.